welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Hi, and welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast. Uh, today, uh, well, this is your hosts, Mackenzie and Micah, and today we are going to be diving back into the book Traditional Quaker Christianity with um, Section 3A, The Spiritual Search. And this chapter is basically just like three paragraphs from Robert Barclay's Apology, plopped in with like two sentences of introduction. <laughs> um, yeah, we all, we all need a little bit more Barclay in our lives. Clearly. Um, so uh, this is talking about, this is prop- talking about Proposition 1 from Barclay, um, and he's talking about how someone comes to having a spiritual search, comes to looking for God. And um, Barclay's theory is that um, people start with a sense of unworthiness, or what could also be called conviction. Um, the, the feeling that they don't really have it right and they need some help. Yeah, I would, I would say that, that uh, I'm not sure to what extent that's true to my own experience. Um, it's it's kind of complicated because where, where do you, I think a part of it's like, where do you locate the beginning? Uh, when did, when did the, when did the spiritual journey begin? Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that's difficult for me to pinpoint. And there, there've been times in my spiritual journey where I've been very down and very convicted and very um, discouraged. And there have been other times in my spiritual journey where I've been very up and very encouraged and figuring out which one came first is, is, is tough for me to, fi- for me to figure out. Hmm. I guess what made you decide, you know, you said that you had left the church for a while. What made you decide to go back to meeting? Well, so, uh, I was, I was, uh, I just graduated from college and I was, uh, I'd, I'd been studying abroad in Mexico uh, during college and really wanted to go back and wanted to go back and uh, live in Mexico. And I thought maybe I'd travel in Central America too. And so I, uh, I went back there a few months after graduation and I started off in Mexico City. And my idea was I was going to start in Mexico City, but then go a bunch of other places and explore around. Um, but my, my mom suggested that I go check out the Quaker house that's there in Mexico City, which is... For those of you familiar, it's in some ways it's similar to the William Penn House in Washington D.C. or the Beacon Hill Friends House in uh, in Boston, uh, in that it's, it's sort of a Quaker center uh, where where people where people stay for longer or shorter periods of time, and there's there's a there's uh, there's a meeting that that meets there and uses it as their meeting house, um, and and so it's just sort of a Quaker a Quaker center, and they have internships. And when I went and visited the Quaker House, they had an internship open, and basically pretty much that day, as I recall, or at least within 24 hours, I was, you know, I talked to them about it and they're like, oh yeah, you could be an intern. Um, and, and so I ended up being an intern at this place. Um, and while I was there, I, uh, I started attending the meeting there and I started, uh, probably more importantly, I started reading, uh, reading books out of the library and a book that my dad sent me about Quakerism called uh, A Living Faith by Will Cooper. Um, and started, uh, started, uh, exploring what it would mean to have a relationship with God. So uh, I was, I mean, so at that point in my life, I was definitely in a place of seeking. Uh, I was, I was, look, mm-hmm. I was looking, I was looking for, for who I was and how I fit in to the world, um, and 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 what what my source of meaning was. Um, and I don't think I, spe- I don't think I necessarily specifically would have uh, named my search as a search for God when I arrived in Mexico City. Um, but that's, that's what I encountered. 
Okay, well, um, for me, in 2009, um, I got out of a very bad relationship wherein I was made to feel worthless. Uh, so if you want to put that with the unworthiness thing in the book. Um, and where I was left with um, no friends of my own, really, um, because I had been isolated. And for anyone listening, um, if you are made to feel completely worthless and useless and you are socially isolated, that's an abusive relationship. Please get out of there. Um, but because of that relationship, um, or because of the state I was in, um, what I really needed at that point was a community of caring people, and that's what I found at Friends Meeting. Um, and just so we're all clear here, I shied away from saying abusive the first time that we recorded this, so uh, please do not think Micah is heartless with the response he's about to give. So, uh, did you, did you find, uh, did you find a spiritual side immediately when you started attending Quaker meeting or what was that like? Um, that, I think that took some time. Um, that meeting was, you know, very, um, not, you know, it was not pushy. It was very, um, you know, go at your own pace kind of thing. So, um. You know, there was there was some encouragement to hey check out you know what's in what's in the library here and that kind of thing like what you did, um, but the the feeling that I needed to take the spiritual side of Quakerism more seriously was like a thing that grew over the course of like a couple of years. Why do you think it grew? Partly just curiosity, like you know, I mean it, it's you know this it's the religious society of friends. It's obviously religious, so and I mean I and I'd read. You know, I, right from the beginning, I read um, Pink Dandelion's Introduction to Quakerism. And so I had some sense of what, you know, Quaker spirituality, where it had come from, etc., and how um, the, you know, I was I'm in the liberal branch, so how that had sort of veered off. And so I was going, well, you know, I'm in a Quaker meeting, but I don't feel like exactly how things are happening here is... Um, you know, it seems like it's a little far off of the path of where it ought to be, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so sort of um, felt like I needed to, um, you know, learn more, read more, um, look more at, you know, journals of old friends, etc. And, and, and talk to more friends from all across the branches to try to get... Um, get more at the root of it because I felt that the, the little slice that I was seeing in person was not representative. Does that make sense? Yeah. So how were you, how were you impacted at a personal level? Because when Barclay talks about, you know, spiritual conversion, it's, uh, for, for Barclay, it's a period, it's, it's, it's a, an experience of sort of being stripped down and, mm -hmm. uh, and humbled and, was that was that a part of your experience? That whether whether at at your Quaker meeting or just at a different point in your life? I think that um, it took it took a while for me to get comfortable with the word sin was something, and I think that that was like an important step because and it wasn't something that was talked about in that meeting at all, and it's not something that's talked about in my current meeting either. Not in that word, not with that word at least, right? Like. Um, 
you might say evil, maybe, um, darkness, etc. like we mentioned in the other episode, um, the one about the devil. But I think it was an important step to come to recognizing the idea of sin as actually a thing that exists. That's interesting that you say that because uh, when I look back at, at my um, my convincement, you might say, or my, my ongoing conversion uh, to, to walking with God, uh, I actually think that uh, it was the experience of evil that was most convincing to me about God's reality. Um, I, I During my time in Mexico City, uh, I, had, I had some experiences uh, that uh, really woke me up to the reality of evil. And that was, that was also a turning point for me uh, in terms of real, realizing, um, realizing that there's not just a right, but there really is a wrong. And there's not just a good, but there really is an evil. Uh, and, and I guess for someone who, who had sort of been steeped for a while in a, in, in a progressive milieu that tended to see evil as, evil as a social construction, but good as being our basic nature as human beings, um, to, 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 begin to, to begin to understand that actually evil is a part of our nature as human beings too, um, and that evil is real. Like in the yin-yang. <laughs> uh, something like that, except, of course, as a Christian, I would say that the evil is not equal to the good. Um, but but that, that that evil is real and present uh, in 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 the world and in our lives, and that um, it's uh, yeah that was that was a major turning point for me uh, because without I guess one way of putting it is w- without sin I didn't need salvation without evil I I didn't really need I didn't really need God uh, to help me deal with evil um, so that was that was that was definitely I I, I share that with you I think that's a, a turning point for me. Um, so there's a question in, we're actually going to use those question questions a little bit. Uh, there's a question in here that says that, um, Barclay describes the peace of knowing God as being freed from disordered passions and lusts and asks, um, you know, what can we, what evidence can we point to that passions are disordered or what does it mean to have a rightly ordered life? And, um, I would say that, um, the way you spend your time is a significant one in there. Like, uh, Frivolous pursuits would probably be the old-timey way of saying it. But, um, you know, how much time do you devote to different things, and are you really prioritizing properly? Yeah, and I mean, you know, uh, the reality is, is, and I think I may have mentioned this in other episodes, uh, the, the Quaker tradition is pretty steeped in uh, a puritanical uh, way of thinking. And I don't mean that as a slur. I mean literally puritanical, as, as in coming from the Puritans. Um, the Quakers and the Puritans culturally had a lot in common. Um, and uh, like Puritans, Quakers uh, were very, very skeptical of um, anything anything that wasn't obviously useful and productive, um, which uh, which helped to give us capitalism for better and for worse. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I'm, I'm actually, well, that's that's definitely my my heritage uh, as, a, as a Quaker, as, a, as a, you know, uh, many generations back Quaker. Um, I'm also, I'm also learning that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I see value in, in frivolous things sometimes too. And, and that, uh, not, not everything that isn't productive, uh, and useful in a traditional sense is necessarily bad. 
Well, so something that I'm thinking of as an example would be um, like if you read the Journal of John Woolman and he talks about how, you know, he's because you just mentioned capitalism, right? He talks about how he's running a business and the business is getting big enough that he feels it's starting to impinge on um, the amount of time he has for God, the amount of time he has for his family, and that this is wrong. And so he sells off part of the business because he has too much, as he calls it, cumber. Mm-hmm. And you know that's obviously him prioritizing his family and God ahead of aha I can make a lot of money. Right, and I think that's I think that's pretty. Speaking of conviction, I think that's pretty convicting for a lot of us in this country now, where um, mm-hmm. we're we're put in a position where we're asked to choose between career and uh, and and career and family and uh, our devotion to God and. Uh, it's not easy because for most of us, uh, it really is a matter of uh, how do we pay the bills, um, and you know, yeah, it, it's challenge. It's challenging to find ways to keep our time uh, focused in the right ways and focused on things that that build us up and build up the community and build up uh, the kingdom of God. Um, so I, I think that continues to be a, a challenge to this day uh, for us, and not just for John Woolman. I think John Woolman was lucky in that he had a profession where he could sort of scale up and scale down. He's sort of a small business owner. Um, for, right. for many of us, um, that's, we're stuck, well, especially, especially here in the U S when, where we don't have, um, socialized medicine. And so the only way that you get healthcare is that you work a full-time 40 hours a week job. Right. And so if you wanted to be like, well, you know, I, I live simply enough. I make enough hourly. I could just work 20 hours a week. I'd have more time for my family. I would still have enough money. It'd be fine. Except that you'd lose health care. Right. And I, I think that um, really the only the only way you address that, and we're probably getting a bit off the topic of the show, but who cares, right? Um, <laughs> really, I think the only way you address that is is through community, and uh, something that the that the early Quakers were very good at was was community solidarity, and something that we're very very bad at today. And and the idea that that we're trapped yeah. by capitalism is really at the end of the day false. We're trapped by our inability to rely on one another and love one another, uh, and uh, we there there is enough there is enough to go around. And the Quaker community, just specifically the Quaker community, is very wealthy. And if we wanted, if we wanted to, uh, to make it possible for us to li- live in a more ordered and godly way and have time for the things that are truly important, we could do that. But we as a community decide not to. Mm-hmm. And, and, okay, for communities people confuse us with, I mean, I said the healthcare thing, but, you know, Amish people, they, um, if you can't pay your medical bills, then the church will pull money together and pay your medical bill for you. And, you know, they just take care of each other. Um, and certainly the thing about, uh, community and how for as much as we put that letter in and we put community in with the spices testimonies that are used by liberal Quakers, um, you don't, yeah, you don't see like a very solid, um, got your back, especially financial type of assistance. Um, and then meanwhile, you've got like the Bruderhof who they, you know, they're like in the book of Acts. Okay, so we, all the money goes together. Whoever needs something, the community will buy it for them. And there mm-hmm. you go, little, little commune. Yep. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, regarding the question that was in here, evidence of disorder passions could include um, improper time priorities. Yep. 
And so rightly ordering your life would be actually taking stock of your priorities and trying to make your life align with the priorities that you believe you should be following. What I think is funny is that we we, we keep, or at least I say we, I keep coming back in the last you know 15 minutes of this episode, I keep coming back to capitalism. Um, and the fact is, is that um, capitalism, which has sprung out of the Protestant work ethic, right, which Quakers contributed to deeply, um, capital, the, the capitalist mindset works very well with personal discipline. Um, and in fact, if you, if you read much business literature or sort of self-help blogs, which are always very business oriented, um, this idea of, you know, making good choices about your time and being efficient and blah, 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 you know, life hacking, basically, um, this is all very, um, in keeping with a capitalist, uh, individualist mindset. Um, and, and so I think, I think it, it, personal discipline, uh, it may never have been uh, sufficient, but it certainly is insufficient now. And in a literature and uh, and, and you know uh, life hacker blogs and things like that are constantly talking about um, personal discipline and, and you know setting your personal priorities in order and making sure you get done what you want to get done. And and so actually, in 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 some ways, um, personal personal discipline. I mean, there's nothing wrong with personal discipline. I, I believe in it very much myself and strive for it, but I don't really think it's revolutionary at this point. Um, in fact, it might even it might even be counter-revolutionary in some ways when we are essentially domesticating ourselves for the capitalist machine and, and making ourselves the most efficient, uh, productive units that we can, rather than focusing on joy and loving others. But I think that just points to should priorities be set individually or communally? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and I mean, I think I think uh, in Quaker community, in traditional Quaker community, and um, Anabaptist traditional communities, the answer was was pretty consistently uh, that the community should have, at the very least, have a significant role in shaping the priorities of the individual. And so, since we're talking about individual versus communal uh, priorities, the next question that's in the discussion um, questions um, talks about. Um, accepting spiritual principles that comply with your personal individual dispositions. So if you already feel a certain way about something, um, you know, Barclay is warning against um, making your religion fit that versus um, looking at the religious stuff and sometimes going, oh, I've been thinking about this wrong. You know, that, that, and that also kind of falls in the information category too, but you know, that um, there might be a topic where you have certain political opinions and then you read the Bible and you pray and you come back with, well, I was wrong. And being willing to come back with, well, I was wrong because, you know, Barclay's talking about how generally right. people aren't well, very willing actually, to do that. Um, you know, Quake, early Quakers were, were eager to figure out how they could know whether uh, whether sense of leading that they had was actually from God or not. And one of the interesting tests they had for it, there's some that are mm-hmm. sort of obvious, like, you know, is it resonant with scripture? Um, is it morally pure and upright? Things like that. But um, one that's not necessarily intuitive uh, that friends were very big on uh, was the idea that a leading, a sense of leading from God is more likely to be true if it goes against what you like. And so actually, and, and mm-hmm. you know, frankly, the early okay. Quakers, like in the first 10 years or so, like took this to extremes where, you know, it seems like some of them were doing things primarily because they didn't want to do them. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 I, but I, think, <laughs> I think it's perceptive that um, if you feel a strong sense of conviction about something 
and it and it crosses your will. It, it goes against what your what your will would like. Um, it's more, it is more likely that it's from God because it's it's less likely it's coming from you to serve your own purposes. This makes me think of John Woolman again, <laughs> because he uh, he you wrote that um, he felt like the prophet Jeremiah um, that God was calling him to be a prophet to Quakers, telling them to renounce um, slavery to go up their slaves and. This, he really didn't want to have to play the role of a prophet, thank you very much. But when God tells you to, well, you do it. Yeah, well, no one in their right mind wants to play the role of the prophet because prophets are basically shamed and killed. That's what you do to prophets. Yeah, I, I really expected that you were actually going to do that Bible quote about the, the hated in their own town or whatever it, however it goes. It's Just because you're you and you do Bible quotes. I feel like I feel like we haven't really I feel like we haven't really addressed the question of of what what it means like like is 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 conviction is a sense of our own unworthiness and 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 sin and falling short is that a part of of the the process of conversion for us today or was that just sort of a cultural quaker thing back in the old days i don't know i mean it's it's certainly still a thing in christianity right like it's absolutely a thing that you will hear um you know evangelical type folks talk about um you know, especially when they're talking about being born again, right? Um, and and giving their testimony. You know, I was doing all this awful stuff, and then I found God. And well, now, for, I mean, for early, for early Quakers, for some of them, uh, all that awful stuff tended to sound pretty mild to us. Um, dancing, yeah, dancing. Um, well, I think I think I think of John Woolman, who uh, his his moment of conviction. This you know this was this was a real thing, but it wasn't sort of like. I was doing drugs and, 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 and gambled away all my family's money or anything like that. It was when he was six years old, he killed a bird and then realized that the bird had baby chicks in its nest and he had to kill them too to put them out of their misery. And then he was convicted of his sinfulness and turned to God. Mm-hmm. And Elias Hicks was convicted on the dance floor. He just... <laughs> <laughs> that, wow, that's amazing. Convicted on the dance floor. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was, uh, man, he was, like, doing horse racing, and I assume if he's doing, like, the horse races, that means he's betting on them, because um, mm. I think those go together, and, um, but yeah, he was convicted on the dance floor, and, like, just, like, suddenly, like, like, had this feeling that if he did not stop dancing, that he would, he'd go straight to hell. And he just stopped and stood stock still, walked over to the side of the room and told his friends, that's it, never dancing again. Mm. Yeah. I cannot imagine a modern day friend saying that one. But I feel like this is really hard to say about like whether this is still typical for friends, um, you know, in the same way of, you know, Margaret Fell saying that um, the sense that we're thieves, we've taken the those um scriptures and know nothing of them are our hearts that i don't i because at least i mean i'm in the liberal branch we don't really talk a lot about like personal transformation experiences and so i haven't really heard people talk about what caused them to to be seeking or you know whether they have found anything and um I kind of, I mean, I I know that in that, in Pink Dandelion's Introduction to Quakerism, he says uh, something about, uh, I think it was in there, 
I don't know. It's been a few years since I read it. I think it was him that said something about um, that in the more liberal wing of the liberal branch, there being discomfort with the idea of finding, only comfort with the idea of sinking, seeking, and <laughs> not sinking, float, sink, you know, he's a witch. Um, <laughs> discomfort, that there's comfort with the idea of seeking, but not so much with finding. It's this perpetual seeking. Um, and so if if that's your framework or if that's the framework that you have learned you should uh, not contradict, then you're not going to end up talking about, you know, what you sought and what you found. Right. Well, I know for me, um, when I, when I first, when I first uh, uh, felt called to ministry and felt called to deeper relationship with God, uh, I, that for me, that was a very joyful moment. And there wasn't really, there wasn't really a lot of, a lot of darkness in it. Um, but <laughs> when I was in seminary, particularly my first semester in seminary, I was doing a lot of wrestling, uh, a lot of spiritual wrestling. And I um, was like literally walking around the Earlham campus, uh, just sort of moping about and um, just spending a lot of time by myself uh, with God and just feeling like God was revealing things to me uh, that I didn't really want to see, but I kept but I kept looking at it and I kept seeing things about myself and it was like God was shining a light um, on me and in me and, and revealing dark, you know, dark parts of myself that um, I hadn't seen before or didn't want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for me, there, there, there was and there has been and there continues to be, you know, a process of sort of revelation in the sense of revealing and uncovering revelation and um and transformation insofar as I'm, as I'm willing to cooperate, uh, with God in that. Um, so, I mean, for me personally, in my own journey, uh, the sense of conviction and, and my distance from God and, 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 and the barrier that my sin presents to relationship with God, um, you know, has been a really, a pretty big feature. And this, and this was true before, um, before I probably even would have, you know, like, I think I started using this kind of language because I had the experience. Like, I think before that time, I would not have spoken this way or conceived this way. Um, so for me, I feel like it was, um, the, the experience came first and then the putting words on it came later. Uh, but, but, but the words I would put on it now, you know, rest pretty squarely in the scriptural tradition. Um, and, and, and probably, even though the specifics are different, like I'm not convicted that dancing is wrong, for example, the specifics may be different, but I think, I think the general sense of it is probably pretty similar to what, to what I read George Fox experiencing wandering around in the English countryside and seeking for God and feeling convicted. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm sure this is one sense of conviction that uh, pretty much all of us could relate to. The one where you're walking um, down the street in a city and a homeless person asks you for money. Uh and uh maybe you don't have any cash in your wallet and so nope or maybe you do and you just pretend that you don't or that you don't hear them or whatever Uh and then you know then the um the you know the concerns about um you know it being uh more effective to give money to a shelter than directly to individuals um which then some people would say it's rationalizing. 
and you know all of all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a good example. Especially since anybody who's lived in a city has probably encountered it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, uh, I think I think whether or not we have named it as conviction or uh, awareness of sin or awareness of brokenness and di- and separation from God, um, I think I think most of us have experienced it, uh, and. And it can be tough to know what to do with it. And so, I mean, I think, I think in my experience, both are really important. And I can't, I really can't walk with Jesus without having both the experience of brokenness and sin and distance from God and, and a need for change and redemption, but also a lived experience of salvation and power and love from God that that gives me the ability to uh, to overcome that barrier. I feel like sometimes I have um, more of one or more of the other. And of course, I prefer to have more of the love, life, and power. Um, but probably, realistically, sometimes what I need more of is the conviction, darkness, and and uh, sense of unworthiness. So it sounds funny to say that I don't feel like I ever really went looking for God, but then, you know, God found me. No, uh, that I mean, that doesn't sound strange. Uh, I, think, I think that's... Uh, let me put it this way, uh, I, 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 think, I think that I've also had the experience of God seeking me out. Even when I have sought for God, that wasn't the, the determining factor wasn't that I was looking for God. It was that God was looking for me. I think this is probably a good uh, note to end this on. <laughs> Let's see. Um, since we are, like I said, heading back into the book for a while, um, the next section is very short and talks about uh, inward states, dryness, and the daily cross. So in a bit of change of pace, um, earlier I said that it's common in some other denominations to hear people give their testimony, um, their testimony of, you know, life change, etc. Um, what what work God's doing in their life. So, um, but, you know, I haven't really heard that much from Quakers. So how about uh, if you've got a story to share, please drop it in the comment section on today's episode. You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, on Twitter as Quaker Faith, on Facebook, and on iTunes. 